Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Tudor as we talk to you about college football, college basketball, the NFL, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 153. Well, this week we are going to be talking about some Cyclone football, meaning Big 12 football. We're also going to be talking about some Pac-12 football. You know where we're going with that. But before that, let's talk about some Big 10 football. Because Nebraska finished their season with a loss to Iowa this past Saturday. And their cumulative point differential in Big 10 play is exactly zero. Yeah, zero. They finished the Big 10 1-8, but somehow managed to score 239 points and uh, gave up a total of 239 points in their Big Ten season. That is what happens when your one conference win is 56-7, to seven, and then all of your losses are by single digits. And that 56-7 to seven win was uh, Northwestern, in case anybody else here is a, not a Nebraska fan. To get you warmed up to some Big 12 football, uh, we got an additional fun fact, courtesy of Kyle. Uh, but this will be the first Big 12 championship game not featuring Texas or Oklahoma since 1998. Granted, there were a few years where there was no Big 12 title game. Like, remember that year where, like, TCU and Baylor finished uh, 5 and 6 in the college football playoff rankings? That would have been a year it would have happened, too. So take that fun fact with a grain of salt. But, yes, that is that is true. That is a true fact. Um, and, yes, so... Because for OU not to be in the Big 12 title game, that means OSU won Bedlam, knocking off OU, um, which was full of all the favorites winning this week um, in Big 12 football. And that includes your Cyclones, who routed um, TCU. It was clear the Cyclones were the better team um, from the word go um, this week. I don't have a ton of thoughts just because it was a somewhat meaningless game as far as big picture things, so I don't have extensive notes. But there's a couple things I do want to highlight. Um, first of all is Brees Hall, who broke the uh, the record for most consecutive games with a rushing touchdown. He did that um, in the second quarter. Um, he ended up scoring, what was it, four total touchdowns that game? Yeah, four three, total. Three rushing, four total. Um, but in the second quarter, he broke the all-time record, which was a really, um, really cool moment to see him keep the ball and give it to his mom up in the stands. Um, at least I presume that was his mom. Um, that was that was really cool to see. And to see how happy his teammates and Coach Campbell were for that was really fun. Um, and my other note is the seniors went out right. Um, Chase Allen with a touchdown. Xavier Hutchinson broke the Cyclones' all-time record for catches in a season. Will McDonald broke his own Cyclone record for most sacks in a season. Brock Purdy had a great game. Um, just a really, really good way for the seniors to go out on senior day. Great. Greg Eisworth had a interception in his final game in a Cyclone uniform. Well, final game at Jack Trice Stadium. Well, at Jack Trice, sorry. Yeah. Correct. Um, yeah. So they went out. It was like... To see the emotion that Matt Campbell had for these players um, during the senior day festivities, um, that was cool to see. You can tell that Matt Campbell loves these players. 
Um, and that that's cool to see how he's invested in him. He's brought him up. That's that's really cool to see. Um, that that is really really cool to see. And and you like you like to see that with a coach. One um, one thing that resonated with me as well. It's just it's not just Matt Campbell. Like uh, defensive coordinator John Heacock actually had a quote after the game um, about these this senior class, saying that these seniors gave this Iowa State fan base and community something to love again. Like, I mean, think about it. We're we're all down on a year where what, we're seven and five in the regular season after what might might be the what was projected to be possibly the greatest season in Iowa State history. Four four or five years ago, we'd be happy to win just six games and get to a bowl game. We're excited for that six win um of the season. And now I mean, it's just there is a love for football. There is an all well, I think this year in Cyclone Athletics, there was a record for the highest attendance per game, um, per home game, I should say, throughout the entire season. Um, there's just a buzz around Cyclone football now that you don't don't get. Before it was like, ah, we're a basketball school. We don't worry about it. But no, we're not like KU anymore where they don't even think about football during the fall. You know, there's something to love. There's something to look forward to uh, in August all the way through November. So and now into December slash January, since bowl games seem to be the norm for this team as of late. Yeah, it's just this seem Cyclone fans owe this senior class a lot. And yes, we've, we've been saying this over and over again. This year didn't turn out the way we wanted, but. Four years ago, we'd take this year in a heartbeat. So, just good, good for those seniors. Um, some of them do have eligibility remaining and could come back. Based on what I'm hearing, not many, if any of them, with eligibility remaining will come back. It all gets weird because that COVID year not counting. Um, so, some do still have eligibility. I don't expect... Um, many of them, if any, to come back. Tariq Milton was one of those. He entered the transfer portal today. So he'll continue his NFL career, but or his, sorry, his college career, but not here. Um, so we will keep an eye on that in the coming weeks. Um, but good job, seniors, and we'll see you in a bowl game. And we'll probably know that um, uh, next Sunday afternoon, maybe stretching into Monday. So on, by next week's episode, we'll uh, we'll have that information for you. Uh, the final college football playoff rankings, I believe, will come out Sunday morning, um, next Sunday morning, with championship games on Friday and Saturday, um, and then from there the uh, from there the bowls will all start to make their selections throughout the day on Sunday, maybe stretching it. But with the regular season over, that starts an already active um, coaching carousel into motion, and as always, Matt Campbell's name is at the top of pretty much every major school's list. Um, on Saturday and Sunday, there were major rumors that um, Matt Campbell would be heading to U- uh, to USC to be the next coach of USC. Um, well, that didn't happen because in a major shocker to pretty much everybody, um, Lincoln Riley, the OU coach, um, took that USC job, just sort of leaving the Sooners um, out in the dark. Um, so that started the Matt Campbell to OU rumors. I don't think that's very likely, but I mean, the rumors have happened. But boy, has it been bad news for OU. They have been shedding recruits like a lab in April. 
Um, it's been it's been really. I mean, they've lost what six recruits plus Spencer Rattler and their number two wide receiver have all either decommitted or entered the transfer portal. Um, just just in the probably what is about thirty hours since um, Lincoln Riley announced that he was leaving. So Oklahoma is hemorrhaging talent right now um, as they look for a new coach. And frankly, this is good for the Cyclones. And I don't feel bad for OU one bit because this is exactly what they did to the Big 12 um, when they said they were leaving for the SEC. They'd been talking about it for maybe even up to a year. Um, and then they just sort of announce it and it happens. So I don't feel bad for you, OU. Um, other schools that uh, had shown interest in Matt Campbell were LSU. At one point, he was the favorite to go to LSU. But now, Kyle, you have breaking news about the LSU coaching search for I, me. I mean, actually, this is Wyatt, but I'm confirming it right now on uh, Twitter live that uh, Chris Williams has retweeted it, but it was initially reported by Pat Thamel. Uh, who's a national college football and basketball reporter for Yahoo Sports, that sources are indicating LSU is expected to hire Notre Dame's Brian Kelly as the school's next head coach. An announcement can come as early as Tuesday, November 30th. So that is big, big news. Um, also, as another massive profile or high-profile coaching position has been filled. Possibly. So Matt Campbell to Notre Dame, right? I mean, we might as well start the like, rumor there. I mean, Matt Campbell. Like actually, the, like, I'm more concerned that he would go to Notre Dame than I was ever concerned that he would go to uh, LSU or USC. Right? Like, actually, legitimately, so, I am. Here's my here's my theory with Matt Campbell. Um, well, and you also had it listed that Matt Campbell to Washington. Well, no, they hired their the uh, former head coach at Fresno State. Um, I'm unfamiliar with his name right now, but my concern with Matt Campbell is right. There's too much, too many lights, too much media in places like USC, LSU, um, right? I, in my opinion, I always thought that if Jim Harbaugh was fired from Michigan, who does Michigan go get? I would think Matt Campbell, right? And I think Matt Campbell is a better fit in the Big Ten than he is in the SEC or the Pac-12 out west, especially in L.A. Um, being a kid that, you know, he grew up playing in, what was it, Division three football, uh, started head as a head coach, or, well, got into the ranks of coaching at um, Toledo and, was it Toledo or Akron? Toledo, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was Toledo. I think it was yeah. Toledo, yeah. Okay, so Toledo... And then Iowa State, right? It's just not I don't think he's I don't think he's an LSU or a Bama or a Georgia guy. I think he's a Notre Dame, a Michigan, maybe Ohio State, still the Midwest, but you know, in the Big Ten where he goes to a powerhouse like that. So Notre Dame scares me, Michigan scares me, Ohio State scares me. But for right now, Ohio State and Michigan look like they have their coaches for a while. And if Matt Campbell is ever going to leave, this year would be the year, right? Like if he's going to drop midseason, I mean, I'm not saying you should by any means. But if you're going to make a graceful exit, now is the time you you do it. Right. It's with, with all these seniors that he brought up. It would be the time to do Yes. If there's ever a classy time to leave a school, this would be the time to do it for, for Matt Campbell. 
I wouldn't be, I would be upset, but I wouldn't be that upset if he left, like, to be honest. Sad, but not angry. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But we'll see. Um, so far, just calm down. No, Matt Campbell is not leaving. Uh, has not said he's leaving. He's not been announced that he's leaving. Um, right now, Notre Dame is the only major program with a coaching opening, as far as I'm concerned, and OU, I guess. Notre Dame and OU are the only major programs with coaching openings. So we'll have to keep an eye on that um, as we go. But something else we got to keep an eye on that I really didn't expect to uh, have to keep an eye on much of it all this year is the Cyclone basketball team. They have come out of the gates on fire and have been shocking people coming out um, 6-0. and Kyle, you want to fill us in on uh, how they got to 6-0 and this week? I, I mean, what can we say but call me and maybe us pleasantly surprised? Uh, I obviously we're not mad with this start, but where the hell did that come from? Uh, you know, this was a team that's projected to finish by every um, media outlet to finish last in the Big 12 this season, and six and zero is where we sit. Two AP top 25 wins this week uh, alone in the NIT season tip-off. Uh, and there, a fact for you there is they now have more top 25 wins this season than in the past two seasons combined. They only had one, uh, and that was back in the 2019-2020 um, season. Um, and, I mean, they're not bad wins. Top 25 Xavier in game one. Isaiah Brockington led the way with 30. Uh, the team just... And it was a 12-point victory. Then they get number nine, Memphis, who has all of this five-star talent. They had a huge recruiting class headlined by some top names. Uh, and they just couldn't get it going at all against Iowa State. And that ended up being a 19-point uh, victory uh, in that game as another a different another player scored 30 points in Gabe Kalsher. Uh, Gabe Kalsher was the MVP of the NIT season tip-off tournament. He also subsequently was the Big 12 Player of the Week as well as the Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. So he did sweep both of that. You know, what are the big keys of this tournament? What helped the Cyclones? Defense was huge. Uh, this team is moving to the ball. They're trapping in the corners aggressively. What does that lead to? It leads to a little bit of foul trouble with the stingy defense. The Cyclones were um, foul prone uh, in these games. George Condit was often on the receiving end of quite a bit of bench time uh, as he tends to accure, uh, accrue fouls pretty quickly. But this defense moves around. Uh, there's still some, some room for growth. Uh, Caleb Grill, not to call out names, but... Uh, and one that stuck out to me, he was he rotated but was way too late and didn't get back and gave up a wide-open three-pointer. Um, but I just like the aggressiveness that this team has on defense. They're also not getting out-rebounded by, you know, 10-plus rebounds a game. They were down – or they were negative four in the rebound margin against Xavier, but they out-rebounded Memphis, a much taller team, uh, 33 to 28 in that game. Um, offense just always seemed to have that timely bucket to keep the games out of reach at arm's length. Um, and that was something that was refreshing to see. They never let 
the opposing team really have a massive run in those games to get back in it. Um, the season as a whole so far that gets us to six wins, uh, ISU is turning teams over 26.4% uh, of the time, and that is 12th best in the entire country. Um, so 26.4% of all possessions that the op that opponents have in, in turnovers. Uh, Memphis was turnover prone um, in their in the championship game there uh, in Brooklyn where they had 21 turnovers, the Cyclones forced. Um, Tyrese Hunter has been a, a fantastic addition to this team. I think he's really kind of the glue that this team needed when they brought in Kalsher and Brockington being the scorers that they have been so far this season. Hunter has is averaging 13 points per game, 3.7 rebounds per game. He's getting in there as a small guy uh, and getting to the boards a little bit. Um, and 5.2 assists per game. Uh, he has a 6% steal rate that leads the Big 12 currently, uh, not just in point guards, but the entire Big 12. And he's second best in assists per game. Uh, kind of a guy he reminds me of a little bit is uh, Marcus Garrett, um, who is well known at, in uh, Kansas for being a the great defensive player that he was and a great passer of the ball. Well, Tyrese Hunter could be a little bit of that with maybe a little bit of scoring. So look out, Big 12. Uh, another thing that's great to see is they're not reliant on offense only from one player. Ahem, Tyrese Halliburton uh, the previous season. So it's not easy to shut down one person uh, and just guard one guy. Um, Kunich had, uh, I believe, 27 points in one game. Kalsher had 30 in the tournament in one game. Brockington had 30 in the other game. Um, Kalsher threw in another 15 or 18 uh, in that first game as well. So all big contributions uh, from different players uh, on different nights. So, you know, football five-star culture leads to basketball five-star culture. That There's still a lot of season to look forward to right now but the start by this tj or this tj start era uh or this tj era i should say is off to a really good start um very surprising turnaround i mean obviously you you'll start measuring up to you know how are we actually performing when we get into big 12 play uh that starts january 1st against you know one of the top five teams in the country uh in baylor so there there's a few games to go before that this week iowa state does have a date with um arkansas pine bluff a very terrible arkansas pine bluff on wednesday um they are so far winless uh, in their season, and then they have a good test on the road at Creighton, um, who's currently six and one. So, and then after that, you got a date for the Cyhawk, but we'll talk about that uh, next week, and we will update you on the Cyclones' performance this week as well. Yes, we will, as we always do, and as we always do, we will fill you in on this week um, in the NFL. We had, of course, Thanksgiving football. As we always do, I hope none of you wasted any of your life by watching that Bears-Lions game. That is all we'll say about it. The other two games were a little bit better, um, with the Cowboys falling to the Raiders in a flag fest. There were so many penalties called in that game that both teams at the end were complaining, um, even though the Raiders came out on top. Um, the Cowboys are still in great shape to win that division, um, so I wouldn't be worried about them. 538 still gives them a 72% chance to win that division. 
Um, but it's a little troubling that they're losing those games, and it just um, enforces that the AFC West might be one of the best divisions in football um, with how the Raiders um, are playing. Um, in the other game, the, the Saints, um, unlike they were on their Christmas holiday game last year, they were lifeless uh, on Thanksgiving this year, getting routed by the Bills. The Bills' defense just dominated the Saints. Um, moving to Sunday in what was probably the best game of the weekend, in my opinion, the Bucks outlasted the Colts. Um, the Colts jumped out to an early lead. Um, the Bucks battled back and took a lead. The Colts tied it, and then Tom Brady led a game-winning touchdown drive um, with less than a minute remaining um, when they scored the final touchdown. Um, great game. Um, four, what was it three or four touchdowns by uh, Leonard Fournette? Um, he had four. Well. He had yeah. four in that game, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Patriots, in probably the biggest game as far as playoff implications go of the week, the Patriots pounded the Titans. Are the Patriots the best team in the NFC right now? I mean, I, I guess we'll find out next Monday night, December 6th, when they face the Bills, uh, which everyone projected to win that AFC East. But, I, I mean, take a look at it. Best NFL coach. You know, what happened? They were down for a year. They rebuilt. They drafted well. Uh, this is Bill Belichick roaring back saying, I don't need Tom Brady. Uh, I got Mac Jones now. Um, and they have statistically the best defense in the AFC. Uh, and that is something absolutely terrifying to go up against, especially in the playoffs. I mean, you have to start looking at it with their record. If they keep winning and the, the chips fall, as they as they may, they they could be the top seed in the AFC. And who wants to go to Foxborough in the playoffs to face that kind of defense? Not really anyone. Um, I mean, this team is built to be atop the AFC, and they have the recipe for success. So it, it's interesting to see it. Uh, they definitely win in unconventional ways, but you know, in the NFL, all you do is win, and you know, you you're doing all right. True. That is very true. Um, in Going back to the, the AFC West, the uh, the Broncos bucked the Chargers um, to just keep that division even more competitive. Um, the Packers, who were somehow home underdogs against the Rams, I don't get that. Um, they kept the Rams at arm's distance um, all week and beat the Rams, who have now lost three in a row and are, are really sliding. They're still going to make the playoffs, probably, just because the bottom of the... Uh, of the NFC is so bad, but they certainly haven't helped their case the last three weeks. Um, um, the Vikings folded in San Francisco. Um, Kirk Cousins decided he was going to uh, line up under the uh, right guard instead of the center on a crucial fourth down, um, causing the Vikings to call a timeout and uh, ended up uh, failing on that, that fourth down. Um, and the, the, uh, 49ers hold on to win by eight in a big showdown for um, for playoff um, seeding and making it in general. Um, the 49ers now have a 72% chance of making it after that win, while the Vikings fell to a 50-50. And then in what was really probably a, uh, a stinker um, of a Sunday night game, I actually didn't watch any of it. I had no desire to watch it. Um, the Ravens outlasted the Browns in a much lower scoring affair than anybody expected it to be. But the Ravens I mean, got the win. Somehow they outlast, I, I don't know. I, 
when you look at the stat sheet, I did watch the game. I felt like I wasted a couple hours of my life. Uh, the Ravens, Lamar Jackson had four interceptions, and they somehow still won. Uh, if that just goes to show you anything, the Browns couldn't get anything done on offense. Uh, everyone's saying it's Baker Mayfield's fault. No, the offensive play calls just weren't there. The receivers were dropping balls. Yeah, there were. It, the offensive line was terrible for the Browns in this game, and they couldn't get anything going on the ground. But yeah, the Ravens somehow overcome four absolutely horrible interceptions by Lamar Jackson uh, and somehow win that game. They're still atop the... Uh, AFC North for now, but look out Cincinnati. Look out Cincinnati Bengals. They're up there as well. Granted, they're playing a last place schedule, but you know, if all you do is win, you, I, you, that's that's all you can do. Just win, baby. Um, and so yeah, that's that's the NFL. A good recap, and you know, we're gonna take it over to the MLB for a hot second, where teams are frantically moving to try and position themselves. Uh, to win now, possibly, Mike. Who, who's been making some big money moves, and you know what's what's one team that's surprising you right now? Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I'm just surprised we're talking about the MLB right now. Free agency has moved a lot faster than anybody thought, and more than it has um, in recent years. Um, I expected most, if not all, free agents to wait until after the end of the lockout. Um, which will probably happen on to, on Thursday, by the way, barring a uh, a very quick agreement by the Owners and Players Association. I expect that lockout to start on Tuesday. Um, but instead, as many free agents as they can are signing before the lockout, which is really interesting. Seeger, Scherzer, Ray, Kluber, Semyon, Gray, Yates, all have signed within the last week. Um, I... Not in recent memory have I seen free agency um, move this fast. Um, big name extensions to Byron Buxton, Randy Rosarena, just all kinds of all kinds of action. I encourage you to go. Jose to Jose Barrios as well yep. in Toronto yep. gets gets big money extension. I mean, so recently. Uh, how many years ago? Just one year ago. Now Garrett Cole became the highest average uh, value per year player in Major League Baseball. Well, it looks like Max Scherzer just took the reins of that uh, with his reported forty-three point three million dollar um, average, uh, you know, payroll per year, and that currently puts him ahead of the Pittsburgh Pirates and Baltimore Orioles in an early projection for opening day payrolls. Uh, so that's a lot of money to pay a 37-year-old pitcher, but he still keeps producing. Yeah, that's true. And to me, the team that surprised me the most is the Texas Rangers, signing both Seager and um, Semien. I mean, I guess I assume one of them is going to play second base and the other is going to play shortstop, but they've just been spending all kinds of money, and for a team that was not good last year, this is just not something you really see in baseball. So that's been interesting. Well, so um, Texas Texas has spent over double the amount of committed money to free agents so far this season, coming in at fifty six or $561.2 million. The next closest team, that Max Scherzer New York Mets team, now at $254 million. Toronto spent a ton of money, especially in their rotation, $121 million there, and Seattle at $115 you know, two of those two of those top four teams in uh, committed money to free agents so far are the AFC is, is 
excuse me, not the AFC West, but the uh, AL West with Seattle and Texas kind of going in right now on it. And, you know, everyone's chasing Houston in that division. Yeah, they they are. But we'll see. A lot more will still happen in free agency. Again, I don't – I'm going to eat these words in next week's episode, but I don't expect anything to happen until after the lockout. Um, the Next week, the lockout will be in effect, and no one can sign during the lockout. That That's part of the definition of a lockout. Um, so maybe it, slow, maybe it speeds up over the next three days. Maybe it doesn't. We'll see. But that lockout will start um, at midnight on Thursday morning. So we'll see about that. With with this lockout coming, Mike, just for all of our listeners, you say lockout, right? And I was just reading an article right before this from Jeff Passan, who's the ESPN baseball insider. When do you think we realistically have to start panicking that baseball might not start on time? Uh, you've got, I mean, if they don't have a deal by late January, then you've got to start thinking about that we might have some problems. But I'm not concerned um, as far as timeline, they got lots of time to work this out. Whether that they do, I'm not comp- confident that they will. But they've got lots of time to. It's not the time is not the issue at this point. So, well, they got lots Mike, of time to figure out. Mike, you could be the new baseball insider for ESPN because that falls in line exactly what Jeff Passan said. If if a deal isn't here by February first, it's perfectly logical to start panicking. And if there is no deal by March first. Baseball's probably getting delayed. Right. Then you've already missed the first two weeks of spring training if there's nothing until uh, until March. So, yeah. So we'll see. We'll keep you informed on uh, those talks as they develop. But now we'll move on to our signature segments, and we have a double edition of Mike's Stupid Rules this week. Um, One college and one um, pro rule for you. So the first one is um, a college rule. This came up in the Iowa-Nebraska football game um, this week, and it's about defensive holding. Um, so there was a defensive holding called on an Iowa cornerback on an eligible receiver. Um, and on the play, um, Notre Dame – or Notre Dame, wow, sorry. Nebraska ran a, uh, a little screen pass type thing where the ball was not thrown across the line of scrimmage. And that penalty was called 10 yards, but was not an automatic first down, like you see almost every time for defensive holding. So I went digging into why that was not an automatic first down, because I thought it always was. What I found is in Rule 10, Section 2, Article 2, um, Part E, Part 2, um, for T- where it says for Team B, fouls during illegal forward pass play. Part 2 says, if the pass crosses the neutral zone and Team B commits a contact foul against an eligible receiver beyond the neutral zone before the ball is touched, the penalty includes an automatic first down. So that's the only part of the rule that makes the penalty contain an automatic first down. The key there was if the pass crosses the neutral zone. Since the pass was caught behind the line of scrimmage, that means um, this provision right here does not come into effect, which means it is not an automatic first down. It is just the 10-yard penalty. So Nebraska got the 10-yard penalty, but not the first down. It was the correct call by the officials. I did not realize um, that was the rule, but um, that is the rule. Um, another one on penalty enforcement that came out of the NFL. This was in the Patriots-Colts game. Um 
Near the goal line, the Patriots ran a QB sneak with Tom Brady that did not get into the end zone. Um, there were two fouls on the play, an illegal shift um, on the Patriots, sorry, on the Buccaneers, excuse me, and then a personal foul um, on the Colts for unnecessary roughness. Now, normally, um, two penalties, one on each team, offset, no play, um, which is the rule according to um, Rule 3, Section 14, Article 1, Part E, but there is an exception um, to it. Um, where you look at Exception 1, um, and this is in Section 5, Article 1, Exception 1. It says, if one or more fouls by one team includes a 15-yard penalty, and the penalty for the foul or fouls committed by the other team is a 5-yard penalty without an automatic first down, loss of down, or 10-second runoff, the 15-yard penalty is enforced from the previous spot, and the 5-yard penalty is disregarded. Um, you can decline the enforcement of that penalty. I don't know why you would, but you could. Um, so there you go. Explicitly in the NFL rulebook, says that a 15-yard penalty versus a 5-yard penalty, they do not offset. Specific exception in the NFL rulebook. Wyatt and I, digging through the college rulebook, could not find a similar exception in college. Um, so for now, we'll just assume that that's only an NFL rule. But there you go. So it's, but it's only for 15 versus 5-yard penalties. 5 and 10-yard penalties, offset. 10 and 15-yard penalties, they offset. But 5 and 15-yard penalties do not offset. 5-yard penalty is disregarded, and the 15-yard penalty is enforced. So there you go. You learned a little bit about... Uh, Penalty enforcement there. Two things that I didn't know until this week. So now you are informed as well. Um, I'll now go ahead and inform you on all of our predictions that were, as usual, not great. Um, four things coming off the board in our accountability session. First one was from me. I predicted that Minnesota would win the Big Ten West. They ended up coming in um, second in the Big Ten West. Because Minnesota could, or because Nebraska couldn't hold a late lead against Iowa, um, if Nebraska would have beaten Iowa, Minnesota would have won the West with their win over Wisconsin to take Paul Bunyan's axe. But Iowa, Iowa won, and Nebraska lost, which means Iowa wins the West. So for that, I get a nah, nah. nah. Josh predicted that uh, the University of Texas would lose out; they would lose their remaining games. He was almost right, except they did end up winning. Um, their last game this week against K-State. So for that, Josh gets a nah. Nah, nah. But Josh redeemed himself by predicting that the Bucks would win their next three games, which they did. So ding 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 ding. Ding ding ding. Ding ding ding. And Kyle last week predicted that Texas would finish last in the Big 12. Um, that needed to be a Texas loss and a Kansas win. Neither of those happened. So for that, Kyle gets a nah. Nah, nah. To get predictions back started, um, I am going to pump the brakes a little bit on the Cyclones team. Um, yes, they've been impressive. Yes, they're better than we thought. Yes, this is fun. No, I don't think they're as good as they're ranked in, um, in the AP poll right now. Um, with the ranking of number 19 coming out in today's AP poll, they're still ranked in the 70s in the Ken Palm. So the advanced metrics um, don't love Iowa State despite those two victories. Um, and I'm going to pump the brakes. I'm going to say the Cyclones do not finish the year in the AP Top 25. Double? Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. Uh, I think that's a double. I agree with you, Mike, with your prediction. 
Sounds good. I'll take that. We have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? He is. He is. He's under the weather a little bit, but he's still alive. Um, and he is um, going to predict. He's liked what he's seen from AJ Dillon these last few weeks. I have two. Josh is going to make a prediction that AJ Dillon will rush for at least 45 yards in each of the Packers' next two games. They're on by this upcoming week. Um, but the two weeks after that, the, the Bears Packers... and the uh, Baltimore Ravens, which Baltimore has one of the top rushing defenses in the league. Yeah. I'm thinking this is a triple. Just triple? Because, uh... Especially because Aaron Jones has been hurt. He's been dealing with an ankle injury, and the bye week's going to give him some time to rest and maybe return. So Yeah, the presumption is that he'll be back after the bye week. At least that's what I'd presume. Triple, triple sounds good to me. Oh, yeah, triple. Triple. Wyatt, what do you got? Well, I agree with you, Mike, that the, the Cyclones-Benz basketball team might not be as good as the AP thinks they are. I still have to put my traditional predictions out there that they will make it to the Sweet 16. Last year, I said Elite Eight. This week, uh, I'm going to say the Sweet 16. So, um, last week, you would have for sure gotten a home run for this. I'm still thinking home run, Kyle. <sighs> I saw you typing triple in the outline. I'm still thinking home run. That was literally only because you said last week you would have gotten a home run. So I just started typing triple because I, I thought that's think, where you were going. My point is that I have to think about it some more, but I'm still thinking so, home run. Well, obviously, if they're ranked, let's just say they're ranked 70th in the Ken Palm right now. They're still on the outside of NCAA. Well, they're on the bubble really Mm -hmm. probably a home run i'm still thinking home run yes well we'll stick with the cyclone men's basketball theme here with my prediction i'm saying that the iowa state men's basketball team will finish fifth or higher in the big 12 this season um for all of our listeners out there and i had said it earlier in this podcast they were predicted to finish last place in the big 12 well You've got three Big 12 teams that are in the top 10 right now. So that uh, doesn't give them, presuming they're still worse than those teams, that does not give the Cyclones much room for error. Boy, um, I don't know, Wyatt, what are you thinking? I mean, it's either a triple or a home run, right? Yeah, last week I would give you a home run for this. This That's week, fair. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not mad. I'm not mad if you have to give me a triple, but I'm I'm just upset. I'm disappointed. You're buying high on the Cyclones right now. I am buying very high without seeing them play any conference opponents. And that, that's what scares me too, because to, to me that's what matters. That's where that's where the meat potatoes are at. Mm-hmm. I, I I I'd argue for you for a home run here. I'll give him a home run, I th- I, sure. Yeah, I think I'm swaying towards that home run side. So with a double, triple, and two home runs, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 153 of the 8311 cast, so be sure to check in with you again next week. But until then, signing off, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.